Welcome to a very special Women of Marvel podcast where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer. Today, we have a special brand new podcast with Cornell Stokes, a.k.a. Cottonmouth, Mahershala Ali from Marvel's Luke Cage. I had the chance to chat to Mahershala about Harlem, Cottonmouth, and more. Welcome back to the Woman of Marvel podcast, where we assemble to chat all things Marvel and more. This is Judy Stevens, producer, and I'm really excited to bring another one of Marvel's Luke's Cage uh, cast. Please, everyone, welcome Mahershala Ali. Hi, Judy. How you doing? I'm good. good How are good. you today? I'm good. Thank you. Your show comes out in two days. Well, yeah. when this is airing, it'll already be live. Okay. But are you excited? I'm excited. It's about time. You know, we started working on it a year ago. And uh, the, the the interesting thing with Marvel projects is there's there's a fan base that already exists. There's the source material that already exists, usually. And so there's already a hype and an energy and, a, and an expectation for these projects before you even step on set. So the, the anxiety and anticipation that you feel as an actor to see the finished product um, is different from working in straight dramas, uh, in, in my experience. So it was pretty exciting. Did you feel any pressure to step into the Marvel Universe? <clears throat> I think the production team felt all the pressure. We just had to do the same job you do on every job, in, in which is to make that character as truthful and as believable as possible. Um, I think the pressure falls on Cheo. It always falls on Jeff Loeb and those good folks. Um, and I think they're used to managing that at this point, though, and 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 really doing a good job of of satisfying the Marvel fan and, and fan people who are who are on the fringes, who are not necessarily Marvel fans, but but love the genre, or just are looking for something a little bit different because there's a lot of wonderful content out there that includes also the superhero genre. Well, and and Netflix brings such an interesting hmm. conversation to the superhero drama because it's yeah. more than just about. Uh, people with special powers, mm. you know, they're flawed. There's uh, interesting motivations between behind each character, and I feel like Marvel's <clears> villains <throat> are so interesting and so diverse, and mm. so there's so much deep thought into each of them. Like similar to Wilson Fisk that we've mm. seen before, you know, the reason why he wanted to save his city. Mm. You know, what were you, what did you sort of bring when you were like, I'm going to be Cornell Stokes, I'm mm. going to be Cottonmouth. Well, I love that what Marvel is doing compared to maybe you know, a couple of decades ago, is um, they are really exploring these projects that are truly character-driven projects. So it's not about, let's pick a power, you find a power, and then you you find a costume, and then you create a situation, and then the, the guy's got to save everyone. These these stories could be, you could take the power away from someone, and, and this story, these stories can hold up as dramas, you know. Um, <clears throat> and in dealing with Cottonmouth, I love that he really wasn't much of a departure from other from other type of stories that I've found myself doing and he's he's a man who is is really struggling I think with his identity he's someone who's missed his calling but in some way shape or form is embraced where he is and who he is at this point but all of it is a little bit unnatural to him I think um and so 
he's kind of living on his dark side, but that's not who he is in his totality. And I love that we are able to, within within a 13-arc series, really explore some really organic vulnerabilities in him and, and looking at what he comes from and the pressure that he feels to carry on the family name, to to have a success that is probably not really defined by him, but defined by these ideas that other people placed in his head, and how that relates to and bounces off of Alfred Woodard's character, uh, Mariah, um, her own expectations of him as as another family member, and comparing himself to the success that she's had, which has the facade of legitimacy and his isn't, you know. So there's a lot of things being explored there. And then you throw Luke Cage into the mix, and he's someone who is looking to to disrupt and dismantle uh, Cottonmouth's humble empire. Yeah, so it's it makes for for great drama. I've I've been told many wondrous things about the show, and mm. and I think one of the have you really not seen anything? I've not seen all I've seen is the clips. How are that you the rest- here and you know. haven't had a chance to see anything? We have so much contact coming out. No, no, I know, I know, messing with you. By the time I'm watching, by the time you're all listening to this, mm. I will have seen all 13 episodes. Yeah. So you could talk to me after that, but. But the one thing I'm really interested in is the fact that it's based in Harlem. Yeah. How did, did that change sort of your aspect of what you brought to it? Or, yeah. you know, you just sort of attacked it the same way? Well, my relationship with, with Harlem goes back, I would say, probably well over 30 years. Uh, my dad was a New Yorker. And so um, I won't tell you the exact date, but many, many, many years ago, <laughs> I started coming to New York. And my dad was the kind of guy who would say, here's some money. And and this was truly intentional, not like just get out of my hair. But he'd give me some money, and back then it was tokens. I would get some tokens, and I would hop on the train from 181st because he lived in Washington Heights. And he would say, go explore. Just try to be back around this time. You got change to call me if you get into trouble. And I would catch the train, hop on the A train, and get off around 125th, and I would explore Harlem. And... You're talking in the 80s and 90s um, for a kid coming from the Bay Area in California. It, it just it was the mecca for for all things positive and challenging about black culture. If you think about the Harlem Renaissance and the remnants of that that still live there in terms of the academics and the artists and scholars uh, creatively, you look at fashion folks like Dapper Dan and, and and what he did to define fashion and hip-hop culture, uh, music. The You think about the Cotton Club having been there and the Apollo Theater was still very, very vibrant then. So all these things that with, within a relatively small area were rich. You had the street vendors that were really still allowed to be on the streets at that time. So you'd have like this market seven days a week walking down, I think, 125th. You could buy all kind of things, cool hats and shirts and glasses and books and mixtapes and everything. So it was it was, uh, it was was the mecca, like I said, of black culture. And so to see that and be informed by that, I remembered that in reading the script. It, it brought me back to to a feeling that I had as, as a youth and being so 
impressed in, in such a positive way about about uh, uh, about identity and who I was and who I could be. Harlem was aspirational for for a lot of people, and that's why it became this hub for people to go and try to be their best, you know. And um, so we, I think we were able to capture Harlem as a character, and it's unique in that there is no other Harlem in the world. I think there's other places where, like, Hell's Kitchen is very, very different right now than what it was when we first think about Hell's Kitchen. Um, but Harlem is is unique in a way that that is uh, it really stands on its own. I, I, I can't wait to see sort of the nostalgia mm. of uh, New York. I mm. feel like right now there's this moment in New York City of nostalgia of what New York and Harlem used to be, mm. you know, 15, 20 years ago. And right. I think one of those aspects <clears throat> that's brought into the show is the club that you work, mm. yeah. um, Harlem's Paradise, which yeah. I've been told beautiful things about the set. Yeah. I'm really excited to sort of see that. I wish it existed in real life. I would go hang out at at Harlem's Paradise. Maybe in the future we'll have our own park and then you can go and have a drink at Harlem's Paradise. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, It's a club that uh, invites amazing talent to, to come and perform. It's a spot where if it really existed, I think it would be it'd be really hard to get in. It'd be an exclusive kind of spot. Lines wrapped around the corner because someone awesome was performing that week. Um, and I think it's it's curated in a way that is um, is it's 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 a cool spot, you know. And I think I think a lot of people would go there and kind of take their cues as to as to what was happening and what was hot, for lack of a better word. Um, by coming to Harlem's Paradise. And what's awesome about that for me is it makes me look good because it makes Cottonmouth look cool, you know. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, sort of <clears throat> one last question for you. Yeah. What are you sort of hoping the fans to take away from hmm. Marvels with Cage and from Cottonmouth? Hmm. Um, first, I hope they appreciate all the universal elements in the story um, in terms of of it, it touching on... Um, uh, Justice and one's one's duty to his community, especially if you are to whom much is given, much is expected. Um, so those the aspects of the reluctant hero that I think we all have in us. There's the we all have the capacity to to do more than what we're doing, and it's about if we're going to say yes to that and being cognizant of of the price that we might pay for sacrifice, you know, for stepping up, and so that that element of it, but. Love, lust, um, revenge, um, the money, power—like all those things—are very much alive in it. And then also, there's the there's the the reality that we are pointing the camera on a community that hasn't had the same space to explore their story in such specific ways. And I think the more personal you get, the more universal. I I love Peaky Blinders. I don't know anything about the Irish or Ireland or Irish mobsters in the 1920s, but I'm telling you, I love that show. And because it's so personal, so you, so specific, and so unique to to that culture and and that time, and of course the story. But I feel like I can really connect to that, and I think we need more of that. We need more instead of the 
the generalization, generalizing, I think the more specific we can get culturally, I think the more attractive it is to, to, to everyone. I think you can still relate to it. So I hope, I hope that people are able to, to walk away having, having been one, of course, entertained because Luke Cage is incredible. Luke Cage, Mike Coulter is incredible. The show itself, I think, is terrific. But also, I feel like that they can, that there's an opportunity to walk away having been informed in, on some, on, a, on several larger ideals, ideas culturally. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Marvel's Netflix, it, Marvel's Luke Cage is now available on Netflix. Go watch, binge all 13 episodes if you haven't already. Watch it twice. Watch it three times. <laughs> <laughs> we'll check you guys next week. This is Marvel, your universe. Swing back on Friday for the Women of Marvel panel, live from New York Comic Con. And I'll be joining Margaret Stoll for a continuation of the Black Widow Red Vengeance tour, including dates in San Francisco and L.A. on October 14th and 15th. Head over to m.stoll.com slash events for more info. We'll see you guys this Friday. This is Marvel, your universe. (laughs) 